This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Salvaggi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. Does tax policy drive interstate migration? Those observers who contend that taxpayers are so tied to their local economy that a move to lower tax rate states would be impractical and counterproductive must also contend with actual data on outmigration from high tax to low tax states. Indeed, such questions are at the heart of debates here in Massachusetts about the need for tax relief to remain competitive in the wake of a substantial tax increase for high earners. Were the impact of outmigration to be substantial, particularly amongst those with high earnings, the implication would be that much of the revenue expected from higher tax rates could be substantially reduced by the loss in net income. Policymakers must also consider that beyond outmigration's effect on the state's tax base, the outflow of high-income investors and entrepreneurs will mean slower growth and fewer jobs in the state's economy. But how can policymakers know whether tax rates actually drive outmigration for high-earning residents? And if a clear correlation between high tax rates and high outmigration can be established, will the need to compete with other states for talent, investment, and jobs constrain future tax increases and instead militate in favor of offering a lower tax rate to a larger, more prosperous base. My guest today is Pioneer Institute's Economic Research Associate, Aidan Enright, whose recent Pioneer paper entitled Debunking Migration Myths examines Massachusetts migration data over the past decade. He will share with us the magnitude and trends in out-migration in the Bay State and explain which residents are leaving and to which states they are moving. We'll explore what can be inferred from his data about the effect of tax policy on migration patterns for high earners in Massachusetts and discuss how trends towards remote work and the passage of the surtax on high earners may contribute to a decade-long outflow of talent, investment, and jobs from our state. When I return, I'll be joined by Pioneer Institute's Economic Research Associate, Aidan Aldridge. Okay, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Silvaggi, and I'm now pleased to be joined by Pioneer Institute's Economic Research Associate, Aidan Enright. Welcome to Hubwonk, Aidan. Happy to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you here. Uh, I was intrigued by your most recent piece you wrote for uh, Pioneer Institute. Uh, it's about a topic we've addressed in earlier episodes. It was called Debunking Migration Myths. Uh, we're going to be talking about the fact that uh, your analysis, your research, really talks about the way in which uh, folks uh, in the United States may choose to move from one place to another. Uh, specifically, we're talking about Massachusetts. They may live here and decide to move elsewhere. We're going to talk about um, why they may uh, do that. Uh, and we're going to use data from why they have or who it is that's moving, where they're moving, to sort of come up with a pattern of oh, what it is that may make people move uh, and perhaps what we might be able to do policy-wise to, uh, to reduce that out-migration. Uh, so let's let's start at the beginning and um, and define some terms. You do some extensive analysis on how many people who live in Massachusetts decide to pack up and move to other states. Um, what is the trend right now? Are, are we getting people in more than we're losing, or we do? Is there an out migration? Well, there's certainly an out migration. If you look at the history of out migration in Massachusetts, there have been several different periods where a lot of residents have left the state. Um, some in the 90s, some in the early 2000s. Um, as recently as 2009, 
uh, Massachusetts as a state gained residents over 2,000 residents according to census data. But since then, um, more and more people have been leaving the state, uh, over 10,000 in 2014 to over 46,000 in 2021. Since the pandemic uh, started alone, we've lost over 110,000 residents. So, yeah, we do know that, particularly relative to our other states, I'll note that we lost the congressional seat 10 years ago, and that was largely by, you know, when when we used to be one of 13 uh, states, uh, we were very important, and now we've got nine congressional uh, seats out of 435. So relative to the rest of the country, we're becoming a smaller and smaller share. Uh, your numbers suggest that those rates of out-migration are accelerating. Is that true? Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, just... In the last few years, we've lost 110,000 residents. Just as I mentioned before, there were periods or years beforehand uh, in the early 2000, around the Great Recession, that we actually gained residents. And uh, since then, we've been continually losing more. All right. So to complete that picture, where are uh, our uh, former Bay Staters moving to? Overwhelmingly to states like Florida and New Hampshire even to some extent, Texas and North Carolina and some other New England states. But over 50% of all the uh, tax filers, the net tax filers leaving the state are going to New Hampshire and Florida. You you mentioned New Hampshire and Florida, two very, very different states. Uh, One's colder, one's a lot warmer. Uh, A lot of people want to say, well, people want to move for palm trees and orange groves, but New Hampshire has neither of those. Um, What do the states you just mentioned uh, have in common, if, if not weather? Yeah, like you said, uh, New Hampshire and Florida are very different states, completely different. Uh, What they do have in common are uh, that they have very uh, low tax burdens compared to other states. Specifically, they don't have income taxes or estate taxes, which other states like Massachusetts and Connecticut uh, do. I, I want to cite from your paper, when we talk about New Hampshire, uh, if we imagine it's one of the New England states, uh, but the one with the uh, with no income tax, in your paper, you cite that uh, of over the two two and a half billion that Massachusetts lost in, in net uh, adjusted gross earnings income in 2020, 71% went to New Hampshire and Florida. Um, but just looking at New England, Massachusetts lost 870 million in net AGI to New Hampshire and only 587 million to the other four New England states combined, meaning it's not just a random out migration, it's entirely concentrated on those with low uh, or no income tax, is that right? uh, So you would expect that all things being equal, um, there would be kind of a a level playing field for out migration, but uh, because New Hampshire has such a, a competitive tax environment, uh, we're seeing a lot more tax filers go there instead of other states with higher tax rates. So uh, I want to uh, um, uh, go beyond the scope of your uh, paper uh, that just focused on Massachusetts and say, in general, when we look at all 50 states, do we see a general trend whereby states with high um, inc- uh, high tax regimes uh, in, uh, experiencing high out, out migration and those with low tax regimes seeing high in migration? Is there a general national trend if, if you're analysis has gone that far? Certainly. If you look at uh, states with high taxes like California, Illinois, uh, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, they're all experiencing a lot of the same trends that Massachusetts are, where they're losing a lot of residents. Uh, But then if you look at other states with low tax burdens, 
say the states without an income tax like Texas or Washington or uh, Florida or New Hampshire, pretty much every state without an income tax is gaining residents uh, compared to losing them. Now, I want to play devil's advocate. I can imagine a listener saying, yes, but there's another uh, um, characteristic of those high-tax states that they're also high-cost-of-living states. So whereas you're attributing the out-migration to taxes, uh, others might say, look, uh, you know, to buy a house in Massachusetts versus, uh, you know, in the Florida Everglades uh, or in uh, the wilderness of New Hampshire, uh, you know, that's why they're moving. Uh, how how would you uh, tease out those differences between those who are, who are uh, moving for tax reasons and those moving just for a lower cost of living? Well, it's you have to look at the type of residents who are leaving. So if it's just the cost of living, um, higher income residents can likely, you know, still afford to live in the state, even though, uh, you know, the cost of living is high, while uh, middle income uh, uh, tax filers probably can't, or low income or working class. So if you see a large percentage of high income tax filers leaving, then it says that there's something more going on than just that there's uh, a high cost of living. So that sets up the, the sort of theme of your paper perfectly, right? So we've said what you've done to analyze uh, largely the effects of, of a relative taxation on, on out-migration, what you've done is focused on uh, those uh, earners who you've defined high earners as those who make more than $200,000 a year. Uh, and you go a step further and you directly address an assertion made by um, the uh, another think tank called the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities that claims the average annual rate of outmigration as a percentage of higher income taxpayers uh, is lower than many other states. In other words, though we have lots of high income people leaving, our percentage of high earners leaving is relatively low. What is the problem with that kind of analysis? That's saying, look, you know, everybody's losing a, a high income people. Why, why would we be concerned about Massachusetts? Well, I would first say that that's kind of a, a cherry pick statistic. Um, when you look at percentages of different states and the amount of high income uh, earners that they're losing, well, different states have a different percentage of high income earners. So, for example, in that study, uh, West Virginia was one of the states that was losing the highest percentage of 200K plus uh, earners. But West Virginia only has about 2.6% of tax filers that make that kind of income, whereas Massachusetts has almost 10% of tax filers making that kind of income. And so if you're looking at, you're using that statistic, it, it doesn't, they're trying to make it relative to all states. But it's not in absolute terms because Massachusetts has so many taxpayers. It, the study also doesn't take into account other areas as well. So it's looking just at um, the amount, the percentage of tax filers leaving, but it's not looking at net migration. And it's also not looking at AGI loans. So if you think about it. So let, let uh, me, let me uh, before you, you, you mentioned specifically uh, a neighboring state, Rhode Island, as a, a great comparison of saying, okay, you know, let's assume the same percentage leaves from each state, the characteristics of the, and the percentage of high earners is, is substantially different. So go into, you know, what your paper addresses is specifically Rhode Island. Can you, can you cite those numbers for us? Yeah. Um, so if you take the exact numbers that the CBBP study used, um, just considering, just, just opposing Massachusetts and Rhode Island, Massachusetts would lose 
uh, roughly uh, 7,800 tax filers, which would amount to uh, 4.6 billion in uh, income uh, from those tax filers leaving. Uh, whereas Rhode Island would only lose 999 tax filers, uh, which would amount to roughly 400 or 500 million dollars leaving their state. And so the the in absolute terms, Massachusetts would be losing a lot more taxable income that would uh, translate to revenue for the state. In other words, the same statistic, again, uh, as you say, a cherry pick statistic by the CBP, um, the percentage of uh, high earners who leave would actually have a net effect that is 10 times larger in Massachusetts than it would be in Rhode Island. Uh, we're losing similar amounts of high earners, but because we have so many of them and those high earners make so much money that now the state has uh, roughly uh, $5 billion in net AGI to effectively tax. Do I have that right? Exactly. Why do we care that all this money is going away? Um, I think uh, I want to bring in another pioneer uh, scholar. It was um, a, a, an earlier paper by Eileen McEnany who noted that those top 1%, now we're talking about just not just the um, 200,000 and above, we're talking much higher income earners. Uh, they account for a substantial amount of, of our tax, meaning uh, the, though they're small in number, they're large in effect. Do you have the numbers of what percentage of our highest earners, uh, what what they contribute to our state's coffers? Um, I don't have the exact numbers on the total amount of income that they contribute to our state's coffers, but as Eileen cited, 23% of all the revenue for the state comes from those earners. And so you can imagine that even a smaller percentage of those earners leaving the state would, uh, especially when they're not being replaced uh, from inflows and in migration, are going to have an eroding effect on the state's tax base, which would limit uh, its revenue and um, the um, its uh, its programs. Yeah, in other words, yeah, the the state would have less money to tax on all the things it thinks is worthwhile to spend on. So uh, that that would be uh, let's say less than um, ideal. Now, for our more market oriented uh, listeners, I think there's a lot going on here. Um, we like to think of uh, high earners uh, by their other aliases as um, people who are generally employers, entrepreneurs, investors people who create jobs and, and are largely um, responsible for our prosperity. Now, your, uh, your analysis is retrospective. You're looking backwards. The last 10 years, you mentioned, there's quite a bit of outflow. But we've gone through a pretty tumultuous last couple of years, a couple of different changes that might even affect uh, those outflow uh, trends. I think we're maybe at an inflection point. There's two things. First, I'll mention, uh, somehow it's made its way into this podcast, the pandemic, of course. Uh, it had health effects, but it also had technology effects. A lot more people can now effectively work from home, and those are generally going to be the high information uh, uh, professions. Uh, they might be uh, consulting, finance, legal. They can work wherever they like. Um, one has to assume that post-pandemic, those people who had migrated could uh, be even freer than before to continue that trend. Do you think that the post-pandemic effects will accelerate or have very little effect on these trends? Uh, you can certainly expect for some kind of acceleration. Uh, it's a valid concern when you're talking about remote work, uh, especially in Massachusetts compared to other states. Uh, Massachusetts, about 24% of workers work remotely, uh, while 18% uh, work remotely uh, as a national average. And so, uh, 
taxpayers in Massachusetts are a lot more mobile. They're less tied through their jobs and other taxpayers. And that makes uh, the concern over them leaving uh, a lot higher because of that. You also look at Massachusetts. Um, Massachusetts has a, a, a lot of people around the retirement age uh, and older workers in particular are a lot more likely to migrate than younger workers. Um, and so that's a concern as well. Uh, uh, indeed. And beyond the pandemic, of course, we've just passed the uh, 4% surtax on income above uh, $1 million. Uh, in earlier Hubwonk podcasts, we looked at other states who did similar uh, types of uh, tax regimes like Connecticut and California. And, and, and you know, in those cases, uh, we have a little more data to look at. We saw many years of out-migration immediately after this, this increase. Um, and I think Massachusetts uh, uh, voters appreciate they if if a high earner someone who makes more than a million dollars leaves they don't take just the four percent that they pay in the surtax they pay they leave they take with them the five percent they would have paid if they stayed so there's quite a bit of uh, out migration um you you your paper suggested the tax regime um uh could lead to a net loss of revenue of in the order of five billion over over ten years uh, uh, do you think the um Millionaires tax will accelerate that out. You know, will make that number bigger. Certainly, uh, and I think the the statistic that you're referencing is the amount of net AGI or adjusted gross income lost since uh, 2012 in Massachusetts. And so, one of the things that makes Massachusetts different than other states is that uh, there's net out migration. And so when taxpayers leaves, uh, leave, we're not recouping their income uh, through inflows. And so over time, especially if outmigration is accelerating and we're not recouping uh, our losses in inflows, there can certainly be um, a lot of uh, additional losses for us. Uh, so since 2012, we've lost $5 billion just from uh, just from uh, tax filers with 200K or more in income. Now, earlier we talked about, you mentioned other states that uh, are uh, with lower tax rates are uh, getting inflows and high tax states are having outflows. Uh, we've read quite a bit though, that uh, despite Massachusetts trends towards higher taxes, most states have been trying to adjust their uh, income tax downward. Uh, again, this isn't uh, in the context do you have any data on uh, where uh, other states that are changing their tax code, what the general trend nationwide has been as far as um, uh, tax regimes? There has certainly been uh, a lot of reforms in other states uh, in order to make them more competitive uh, for uh, earners and businesses. Uh, one example is with the state tax. Uh, and so uh, Massachusetts implemented its estate tax in 2006. Um, and we have one of the um, the earliest uh, or the lowest exemption levels for state tax at one million. In other states, a lot of them, it, it, even in New England with uh, Vermont and Connecticut, have been raising their exemption levels uh, for that tax. Um, uh, Connecticut doesn't even start taxing uh, estates until nine uh, at, at the point of nine million dollars. Uh, and a lot of states have actually gotten away, uh, given, uh, gone away with their estate tax or transitioned to uh, inheritance tax, which is uh, less burdensome. Uh, you can see that with capital gains as well, where states have made reforms to lower their capital gains rates and their income tax rates. Um, and so they're doing this in order to be more competitive 
uh, and bring in uh, more uh, more uh, earners and more businesses and more investment into their states. Yeah, it seems that again um, we've uh, talked about um, our new governor Mara Healy's ta- uh, plan for uh, tax relief, and to her credit, although she identifies as a a progressive governor, she's acknowledged the fact that uh, in order to remain competitive for talent and investment, that uh, a, um, a tax relief is 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 necessary, in particularly in the areas you mentioned, estate tax, um, short-term capital gains tax, um, you know, just, just to perhaps counteract the effects of the millionaire's tax. Um, but I think it's a victory where she sees um, Massachusetts as uh, needing to compete. Uh, do you think that the fact that other states have reduced their taxes is sort of tacitly acknowledge that they, I can't imagine any other reason to lower taxes, that they need to do so in order to remain competitive? Do you, do you see this as sort of acknowledgement of, of that simple truth? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the state's going to continue to lead, uh, to lose high income earners in business um, if changes aren't made. And, uh, you know, Massachusetts has high tax rates across across the board for most areas. And so if you would start increasing the tax rate on income, and you also have a high tax rate on estates, and you also have a high tax rate on capital gains, then it, it adds up. And the you know people are going to take that into account, uh, businesses and individuals, when deciding whether or not they want to stay in Massachusetts or leave. Uh, we're getting uh, close to the end of our time together. Again, I appreciate your your coming on the show and talking about your paper. Um, I, 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 I want to ask your opinion on, on this view. And, and in reading your paper, it occurred to me, um, defenders of higher taxes seem to um, respond in general with the notion that, well, you know what, higher tax Taxes is what we pay for our higher standard of living or higher, higher, uh, a better society, a better city, better state. Um, implied in that is somehow the causation that uh, progressive policies make us prosperous. Uh, to me, I see the direction of the causation to be the exact opposite, meaning we are progressive because we're prosperous. We're not prosperous because we're progressive. To me, it seems uh, you know our affluence has made us sort of perhaps more civically generous, but we've somehow lost sight of the fact what made us prosperous in the first place. I would assert that Massachusetts has a long tradition of valuing hard work, um, uh, temperance, uh, education, um, you know, uh, family institutions, these sort of things. That's what makes us prosperous. We're prosperous despite our policies, not because of them. What are your views of of the relationship between policies and and prosperity? Yeah, I think I would... um agree with a lot of your your assumptions there um, and you and you look at states that um, are bringing in or trying to make reforms to bring in a lot more business investment and uh, you know create wealth for their residents um, and at the same time our state is kind of rolling it back and uh, creating an incentive for people to leave um, and, and which is going to affect the tax base, which is going to be able, which is going to affect the services that we provide. Uh, and the only reason that we were able to get to this point is because of our economic competitiveness, uh, it, our businesses, our universities, um, and it's not policies, uh, high tax policies that have allowed for our state to be um, so competitive and so economically well off. Indeed. And uh, I remember, I'm old enough to remember when we used to be called Taxachusetts. I think we're you know, dangerously close to uh, earning that label once again. 
Um, for our listeners who are intrigued by your research and want to learn more, uh, uh, where can we find your work at Pioneer? Uh, you can find my work in the uh, economic opportunity section on the website. Um, there should be my paper. There's also another paper by Aline McNanny uh, on outmigration as well. Yeah, I think they both make a terrific case. Uh, again, we'll just say uh, wait and see, but let's hope that uh, the policymakers, the legislators, perhaps the governor listening to the show are um, bolstered by our argument that um, uh, if we care about the prosperity and the well-being of all our uh, Massachusetts uh, residents, be they uh, middle income, higher income, or, or, or millionaires, everyone is served by a, a competitive, friendly tax regime. You don't make poor people rich by making rich people poor. It's, it's, it actually works in the other direction. So thank you for uh, joining us uh, today on Hub Wonk, Aiden. You, you've, you've been a great help. Absolutely. This has been another episode of Hub Wonk. If you enjoyed today's show, there are several ways to support Hubwonk and Pioneer Institute. It would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubwonk on your iTunes podcatcher. It would make it easier for others to find Hubwonk if you offer a five-star rating or a favorable review. We're always grateful if you share Hubwonk with friends. If you have ideas or comments or suggestions for me about future Hubwonk episode topics, you're welcome to email me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hub Wonk.